of the Creed are the topic of today's talk. The 11th article of the Creed says, I believe in the resurrection of the body. And the 12th article is, I believe in life everlasting. Now, again, as uh, referring to the last uh, Aquinas Hill, God did not create us to die. The resurrection of our Lord, when he defeated death, it's the resurrection of our Lord is the template of our own resurrection at the end of time. And again, we know that our Lord took upon himself all of our sins, and by defeating death, he overturned this reign of sin over, over all, of human, all of humanity. By doing so, he opened the gates of heaven to us, and in heaven, as you well know, where there is God three times holy, there is no sin. And if we are to go to heaven, we are to be also purified and become like him in heaven. It is through the Holy Spirit that we receive all of the gifts that are given to us uh, in our glorified body. He sanctifies the church and we read in St. Paul, uh, Romans chapter 4 verse 24, by his power our Lord rose from the dead. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus Christ himself. And so by his power, his own power, he rose from the dead. Now it is of course the doctrine of the church, there is no delay in our judgment. As soon as, right after our death, God, we have our first judgment, the particular judgment, at which our fate for eternity is decided whether we go to heaven or to hell, or to purgatory. And uh, there was, there is no delay in this judgment. The reason, however, that there are two judgments is because at the, right after death, our soul will be judged for all of its sins. And at the end of time, when the, res when the body is also resurrected, our body will be joined to our soul and it will be judged in the general judgment for all of its sins and all of its, all of the times it induced the soul to sin. And this second judgment is also of a social nature. Uh, man is not created to, to live in a vacuum. He, he is a social animal. Uh, God created us as a member of a family. He saves us as a member of a church, an extended family. And so, because of our social nature and because of the fact that we can't even uh, say learn from, by scandal of someone else's sin or cause scandal to someone else. There is a second judgment in which the social aspect of our life here on earth will also be judged. So let us delve in today's topic. Why should we believe in the resurrection of the dead? And this is particularly important if you need arguments against those who uh, wish to have their bodies cremated. And this is why the church has always uh, established as a practice for a Catholic to have bodies buried rather than cremated because when we have bodies cremated, which is what Hindus would do, we uh, tend to accept the belief that at the end of this life, there is nothing. There is no resurrection of the dead, there is nothing. We, the Hindus have this idea that, that our souls join, join up with other souls into a certain unity 
of, of all kind of consciousness or living or being or whatever it is, and there's nothing. There's no individual uh, existence, no, no human class existed separately or anything like that. But this is not the case. God created us individuals with a social nature. And so each of us is meant to be resurrected at the end of time and to, to be with him in heaven with a social nature, to, to be in union with him and also in union with all others in heaven. So there are four reasons to believe in the resurrection of the dead. The first, of course, is that it helps us when we ourselves grieve at the loss of someone near and dear to us, a relative or a friend. And uh, we read this in the Mass for the Dead, in Requiem Masses. St. Paul actually exhorts us to have this supernatural hope. He says in the first uh, episode to the Thessalonians, and we will not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them that are asleep, that you be not sorrowful, even as others who have no hope. Oftentimes, at the moment, at the time of death, we can be uh, in, a, in a deep grief, in a deep uh, and terrible sorrow. But by faith, when we remember the resurrection of, of our dead, of those who have recently passed, and our own resurrection, and of course, the template given to us by, the, by our Lord, who himself rose from the dead, we can be sure that we will see our loved ones again. They, we know, for example, our Lord himself said in these words that God is not a God of the dead, he's a God of the living. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still living with God, and we can join them at the end of our time. And this is why uh, it is a bit insulting, I would say, to, to families that are grieving to have a requiem mass entirely in white, as if uh, the person who has died is already in heaven as if their grief is non-existent or does not mean anything. St. Paul tells us, rejoice with those who rejoice and uh, be sorrowful with those who are sorrowing. And the church herself knows how to do this. She accepts and acknowledges our grief in the Requiem Mass, that's where the Mass is in black. And then, but she also speaks, as we see in this episode to the Thessalonians, she speaks of supernatural hope, that this is not the end. We must not lose heart. We must not, we must not let the sadness and this grief get the better of us. We know that God will raise us again at the end of time. The doctrine of the resurrection of the dead also takes away the fear of death. If we, and uh, again, when you read history and you read about all of the tribes in, in uh, Europe, for example, that were eventually converted and became Christian, when you read of their lives and their religious practices and so on, when they did not believe or did not have this doctrine of the resurrection of the dead, when they believed, uh, they created a heaven or hell in their, in their mythologies of their, their beliefs, but they could not fathom a resurrection of their dead to, to a place of, of happiness. They, they lived in great fear. I'm not saying all of the cultures did this, but those who uh, who had such belief, for example, the Celtics, they had, they, their life on earth was one of, of a great amount of fear. And um, because of that fear, they, they felt that there was, no, there was no reason for them 
to live a good life. It was it, oftentimes such societies where, uh, as a, a, I could say, the, the, the kind of pagan societies we found in, um, in the Holy Land before God gave his law to the chosen people. And now, one of the laws that God gave his chosen people was uh, effectively the, the law of talent, the, an eye for an eye or a, a tooth for a tooth, in order to establish a certain proportionality or equality in uh, extracting justice. Where uh, before that time, uh, the way justice was extracted for any crime that was done was, was horrendous by, by our standards. Uh, maybe a whole family could be massacred for maybe one animal of, of burden stolen or something like that. Whereas under the law given by, by God to his chosen people, there was a limit placed in what they could do to extract justice. Such a, such a life in which we have no uh, uh, hope for a future, for, for a future of bliss, leaves us with nothing but what we have down here, and also a great and horrendous fear of death, of what is to come at the time we die. With the resurrection of our Lord, we can be sure that following his commandments and having faith in his teaching, we can be sure that there is a better life if we do strive to live a good life here on earth. And this takes us to the next point about why we should believe in the resurrection of the dead. If there truly is that life, a better life for us afterwards, we would want to merit that life and truly live according to the commandments of our Lord, to be diligent in performing our good works, to even, as St. Paul tells us, work out a salvation in fear and trembling, no matter how difficult it may be. And, then, and uh, as a corollary, no matter how much we may have to suffer to do good things. And again, this leads us to, a, to the following point, that because we know there is a resurrection of the body, and because we know that uh, we could either go to heaven or hell, uh, conversely to, to wanting to do good works so that we go to heaven, we would also want to avoid evil that would take us to hell and keep us away from God. So now, what are the qualities of our recent bodies? Now, these qualities that we know of, we know from Scripture, both from Old and New Testament, and uh, particularly from St. Paul's epistle to the Corinthians. We know that the same, there are four qualities. First of all, we will receive the same bodies that we have, that we had here on earth. So, uh, at the time of the resurrection of the body, this, this quality is called uh, that of identity. Uh, whatever it is that identified us as who we are here on earth, as God himself knows us, and as those around us would know us, we would receive that same body uh, at the resurrection of, of the dead. Now, this does not mean that uh, we receive exactly those molecules or those cells that we have here on earth. Uh, it has been more or less established that over the course of a human's life, every seven years, by simply living, by uh, 
the food he eats and all the rep repairing of damaged organs of, and so on and so forth, uh, every seven years all of the molecules in the body are actually replaced, but the person remains the same. All that's required to satisfy this, this characteristic is that uh, some of that matter of, from the time of our death is, comes back into the same body uh, that, that is given to us at the end of our time. And because of this, we will be recognized by each other even in the afternoon. Secondly, is the, the, the point is uh, that of the incorruptibility of our recent bodies. Um, either incorruptibility or you could look at it as uh, immortality. We will not die again after we have risen from the dead, after God has raised us up. Uh, again, this is def uh, defended by, uh, by, by St. Paul, telling us that for this, corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. One, uh, one of the consequences of, of being immortal is that we would not need food anymore in, in heaven. And uh, our Lord himself also said, in heaven we will be as the angels of God. There will be uh, no reason for marriage, for the propagation of the species or any of uh, marital relations or anything like that. And this is against, uh, this doctrine of, this Christian doctrine is against what uh, Muslims uh, or even the Jews would believe. There are no further relations in heaven. We will be as brother and sister with each other. We will be as angels in terms of our bodies. Simply because by the time we get to, to uh, well, no, this, these, these characteristics are true for both whether we are in heaven or in hell. Our bodies will be immortal. Uh, the next point is that of the integrity of our risen bodies. Now, uh, what this means is that there will be no defect in our bodies, no sickness, no all of no uh, damage or anything in our bodies. We will all be restored in a way uh, that we will be perfect. Again, this is defended by Saint Paul. In the first episode to the Corinthians, he says the dead shall rise again incorruptible, free from the defects of this present life. And lastly, all of the risen bodies, because again, our Lord is the template of our own resurrection, all of our risen bodies will have will be at the age of 33. Now, uh, I've been told that women generally stop getting older after the age of 29. <laughs> that means that they still that they still will have some more perfection to go through at the end of their life. Now, uh, jokes apart, what this means also is that, for example, those who die at a young age will uh, actually be brought to this greater perfection of this age of 33. Uh, whereas those who, have, who die at an older age will come back to the state of uh, perfection, the, the state they had at the age of 33. Simply because our Lord ended his life on earth at the age of 33, and therefore that is the model for all of us. Uh, St. Paul tells us this in this, uh, in his episode to the Ephesians. Until we all attain the unity of faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God and for perfect man, unto the measure of the age of the fullness of Christ, referring to the age of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, uh, St. Thomas goes further in his uh, teaching to talk to us about the qualities of those who are blessed and uh, in their glorified body. And uh, in these qualities, we can also, if we follow uh, the Acts of the Apostles, we can see that our Lord himself displayed these qualities after his resurrection. And also, conversely to these qualities, we will know what our state will be like if we were uh, sent to hell. Now, uh, the first quality is that of clarity. The, the just shall shine as the sun in the kingdom of their father. St. Matthew tells us this in uh, chapter 13. And uh, remember, our Lord, he was seen by St. Mary Magdalene after his resurrection, and he told her not to, not to touch him. Uh, until, uh, until he had ascended to the Father, presented himself to the Father. We also know that uh, our Lord prayed to his Father before his death, asking his Father to, to glorify him as he was glorified here on earth. So this, this gift of clarity will, will, is also waiting for us if we join the blessing in heaven. The next is uh, the gift of impassibility. Now this gift, was also part of those of Adam and Eve when they were in the Garden of Eden. They would not, they were not able to suffer anything because of their, of their, this, the preternatural gifts that they had. This gift will be returned to us. We will also in heaven not be able to suffer anything. This gift is not given to those who are damned because in hell they will have to suffer eternally. Not only in their soul by the separation of God, but also in their bodies, which they will receive at the end of, at the end of time. Now, uh, in the book of Revelations, we read, And God will wipe away all tears from their eyes, and death shall be no more. No mourning, no crying, no sorrow shall be any more, for the former things are passed away. The next gift is that of agility. Now we saw this uh, at the end of the road to Emmaus, when our Lord stopped with his two disciples and broke bread in their presence. They recognized him and immediately he disappeared. Uh, this is a gift in which we move extremely quickly because in the glorified state, our bodies too share in this glory of our soul, this perfection of our soul, and therefore it does not weigh us down, it does not hold us back. And uh, in heaven, we would no longer have a tough time waking up in the morning. <laughs> that is if we even go to sleep. So the book of wisdom tells us, the just shall shine and shall run to and fro like sparks among the reeds. And also, this gift of agility means we may no, no longer need espresso in the morning. <laughs> The other gift, the last, uh, the, the fourth gift given to those who have this, the glorified body is the gift of subtlety. It is sought a natural body, it shall rise a spiritual body. St. Paul tells us in the first episode to the Corinthians. Now this is where uh, it is the body, 
has the qualities of, of a spiritual body. For example, in the, uh, in the cynical, in the upper room, the apostles were hiding for fears of the Jews. We read this in the Acts of the Apostles. Or rather, no, this is, we read this towards the end of the Gospels. And the Lord appeared in their midst. The door was closed, the room was locked, and yet the Lord appeared in their midst as though he passed right through the doors. And so, again, such a gift of subtlety, even with our glorified and resurrected body, such a gift will be given to us if we get to heaven. Now, conversely to this, St. Paul, uh, rather St. Thomas Aquinas points out, the qualities of the bodies of the damned will be darkness, passibility, that means they will suffer, heaviness, and carnality, they will, be, they will truly feel all of the defects, or rather all of the weight and, uh, of their bodies that, that will also pull down in a way their soul. Sin, remember, is something that drags us down and lowers us from the best of our nature, from uh, both our image and likeness of God. We are in the image of God because we have the faculties of the intellect and the will. We are in the likeness of God when we are filled with sanctified grace. And uh, if we commit a sin, we lose grace. We do not act according to the best of our faculties, our intellect and will. Instead, we give ourselves to a lowly nature, the, the, the part of our nature which we share with the animals, our concupiscence and our uh, irascible appetites. And this is what sin does. It, it lowers us to the level of, of brutes, of, of beasts, of animals, and therefore hell is, a, is basically that. It gives us, it, uh, hell is a, an eternal separation from God, so our faculties of intellect and will are never satisfied, and it's a giving over to what, is, what causes us the most suffering, the uh, concupiscence, the disorder in which the concupiscence and the irascible appetites go, go around. And this uh, brings us to the last point of today's talk. Uh, a life in heaven, an uh, everlasting life with God. It is meant to be uh, a life of union with God, a life in which we're able to enjoy all of the best parts of our faculties and even the lower most are actually brought into order uh, under, the, under the rule of reason. The rule of uh, the vices is a trillion. But the rule of reason through the virtues is actually a great, uh, a great joy. A great, it brings a great peace to the soul. It is, and it is not at all, it, it causes a great, uh, rather it demands an uh, enormous amount of work and lots of suffering here below to achieve this, this state where we live uh, under the rule of reason. But it is uh, a rule that is extremely peaceful and, uh, and a joy for us. It, it, it is not a tyranny for us. And this is, uh, it is this joy that we will have in heaven. And uh, Adam and Eve, before the fall, had this, this state of their body and soul. It was called a state of original justice. And this, this state it will be ours again by uh, the work of, by, by the fact of the sacrifice of our Lord through this, his own passion, death, and resurrection, he has opened the gates of heaven for us and made this state possible for us again. 
So when they are in heaven, in, uh, in union with God, this means we have three things. Uh, we will share in something that Allah had while he was here on earth, the beatific vision. Now St. Paul uh, tells us in this episode to the Corinthians, the first one, we see now through a glass in a dark manner, but then we see face to face. Allah himself will be apparent to us in his divine nature. Now, as human beings, with our, with our human nature, we cannot see God. The, the Jews, the, the, the chosen people, were terrified of seeing God because they knew that they would die. Their, their nature was not capable of beholding God. But the difference between then and now is grace. God's grace lifts up our soul. It uh, impregnates our soul in the way uh, oil would impregnate paper. It, it, it goes into our soul and lifts it up so that our soul becomes capable of God. And in Latin, this is capax day, capable of God, that's what it means. Uh, and this is what the state of beatitude is. All of our faculties, we will be completely and fully uh, active and there will be no languor or languidity in us, no sloth or no, no slowness in us. We will be active and extremely quick in all of our faculties. And this comes through grace and because, and because God lifts us up in such a way, we will be able to see him directly with, again, a glorified body uh, in his essence. We will see him face to face, as St. Paul tells us. Now, uh, because we will see God face to face, this leads to the second thing. He will have a perfect knowledge of God. And, uh, you know, here on earth, we can know things, or scientific studies of things to, to discern their nature. All of this happens through our senses. We know, we see the table, or, uh, or the material that the table is made of, and we know it's wood, and so on and so forth. And when our vision and our soul and body are lifted up by grace, we will be able to see God face to face, and we will innovate in. Through that, through our glorified senses, we will know God. And again, we cannot love what we do not know. Because we know God, we will also be able to love Him perfectly, with, with the fullness of charity. Now, uh, I think it was in a talk here, it was mentioned, because we see God, I mean, we do not need faith. Faith is a condition of things not seen. But here in heaven, we see God. Because we know God and we are able to, to see Him face to face, we, we possess Him, we are right there in His presence. So again, hope is, is a, a conviction of the promises of God. A, confident, a confidence that He will give us what He has promised. But now in heaven, we will possess God because He's right there in front of us. So heaven is a faithless and a hopeless place because God is right there. But charity is what will still remain because God is right there and we, our soul will be filled with a charity for God. We will, uh, and uh, the object of our charity will be right there in front of us. Charity is what will flower in our soul in its, in its fullness. And that's why St. Paul tells us charity is, is the greatest and it is the one thing that remains. And again, 
This is especially good for kids who don't like to go to Mass. There will be in heaven a perfect praise of God. The book of Revelation describes this eternal liturgy and Mass is, is an image of that eternal liturgy for us. And so this perfect praise of God that we can, as perfect as we can practice here in church, will be a vocation for eternity in heaven. And so, if kids don't like to go to Mass, you can tell them you can't go to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it has been, it is always the teaching uh, of, of the fathers that if God has placed a desire in our hearts, it is meant to be fulfilled. And so, uh, if we sincerely seek truth uh, and truly seek to do the best we can, uh, following whatever we desire in our hearts, not breaking any of the commandments, being always moral, but truly seeking the truth, then in heaven we will have the perfect fulfillment of all of these desires. So, whether it is uh, pleasure, honor, or even knowledge, uh, God will give us everything perfectly in heaven. Uh, there's, no, there's nothing we can enjoy perfectly here on earth. Neither pleasure, nor honor, nor knowledge. Not everything comes to an end. Uh, everything gets dull and dreary or boring after a while. But in heaven, it will, everything will be satisfied perfectly. Because all of our faculties will be perfectly ordered and they will be also uh, a perfect understanding of uh, true grace of how to use everything. God only satisfies and infinitely exceeds man's desires, and therefore perfect sexuality is found in God alone. All of our desires will be fulfilled in Him as supreme and sovereign. And uh, secondly, uh, rather, fifthly, heaven is a place of perfect security. There is no security here below, simply because the, the higher we go, uh, the more insecure we feel our position to be. Uh, there, there has never been, that, I mean, we can very easily find in the life of, in the history of the church, those who climbed such high positions, even in virtue, and yet failed and fell into the lowest and most uh, depressing depths. There is no security here on earth, whether in spiritual or material things. Perfect security is only found in heaven, and we are made only for God in heaven. Every material thing we have, and even every spiritual good we can attain here on earth, is meant to be used appropriately to be able to be with God in heaven. And lastly, there will be the communion of the saints. This blessed society of heaven, where we will even be able to meet all the saints for whom we ask, uh, of whom we ask uh, the intercession and who, who pray for us here on earth. Uh, many have been the fathers who have written that uh, the saints in heaven, because of, again of the glorified state of their, their bodies, they are uh, not separated from us in the sense of being so far away that they look down on us. They are in fact right next to us here on this earth. And they're encouraging us as we work out our salvation. And we can in fact talk to them as companions on this journey to heaven, asking for the intercession continuously. And they will 
God, they will bring for us God's grace, they will bring for us His help to constantly move forward in our life here on earth. It is uh, by this constant application to our duty of state that we can grow in virtue and perfection and through this we can, uh, especially through the help of the saints, we can find our, our eternal communion with, with God in heaven. Well, that's all I have for the talk today. Uh, if you have any questions, I'll take them. Otherwise, we can end here.